before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness. An inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness brave men would not venture. For as the map says, here there be monsters. Good evening, and welcome to Here There Be Monsters podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. I want to start off the show with a bit of an announcement. At long last, the t-shirts are in and up in the shop. I know several of you have expressed interest in them via social media, so now you can finally go and pick one up. Head over to the show's webpage at www.herethebemonsterspodcast.com and click on the Shop tab at the top. Then, boom, there they are. Now, it goes without saying that each shirt purchased goes toward improvements on the show. So, do your part and pick one up today. I have a great show lined up for you this evening, so let's dive right in. Over the past few weeks, I've been spending a lot of time on the road. For this reason or that, I've had to drive several hundred miles through the winding roads of California's San Bernardino Mountains. And, on occasion, when the moist Pacific air meets the dry, warm air of the central deserts, a bank of thick fog rolls in. We've all driven through our fair share of fog. A slight mist that settles in the low-lying areas. But this is nothing like that. At nearly 5,000 feet of elevation... The road literally meets the sky as I careen through clouds at 60 miles an hour. Now before long, my mind begins to race. What is concealed within the smoke like haze? What could be on the road just ahead, unseen? The memories of John Carpenter's The Fog come to mind as I make my way forward, practically blindfolded. The point of my rambling is that the road can be a scary place. It seems that anyone that's spent an extended amount of time on it has at least one story at the ready. One creepy experience to share. Now the same can be said for our first caller of the evening. It seems last week's haunted car story inspired her to share her own tale. Hi, um, I'm a huge fan of your show. I was actually calling about Season 2, Episode 2. A caller called in about his car, not quite being haunted, but having odd things happen. Um, I used to own a Ouija board, and to say the least, uh, it got out of hand, so I got rid of it. And um, a couple months later, 
started having really odd things happen in my car. Um, it started with seeing someone in the rearview mirror, a person sitting or like a shadow passing by on an empty road. I used to work at 5.30 in the morning, so it was always dark out, and you're always little, half asleep, so I chalked it up to that. Um, after about two months of this happening, radio would start turning on. My car was relatively new, so I didn't really know what was going on, but I assumed I was tired and the car was acting up. About three months later, uh, I woke up one morning, got in my car, started driving to work, and I heard sloshing in my car in the passenger seat. And I looked over, and the entire passenger seat was full of water up to the seat. My side of the car wasn't touched at all. It's just that side of the car, full of water, sloshing around. It's 5.30 in the morning. I'm at work now. I didn't know what to do, so I just you know, went into work and continued on my day. Um, took it to the shop. The guy said, yeah, I didn't see anything like that thought maybe water had somehow traveled up the wheel and gotten into the passenger seat. Said it was really odd, but didn't know what to do about it. A um, couple weeks later, my car got hit. I was driving down um, Main Street, and I actually saw the woman coming to hit me. She was turning where she wasn't supposed to be across two lanes, so I darted out of her way. And she stopped her car. I made eye contact with the woman, and then she slammed on the gas and T-boned my car and totaled it. Uh, broke my window in, uh, me and my roommate were in the car in shock, and she pushed us into a parking lot. So, you know, you get in a car accident, you're scared, I get out of the car, I'm shaking, and the woman sitting in her car, she gets out, walks over to me, and just something about her, I don't know, it was, she was off. It, it just gave me goosebumps. And it wasn't just the shock of, you know, having your car totaled while you're in it, or the fact that she hit me even though I was out of her way completely. It was this blank look in her eyes, and she said to me, I thought it was about time for an accident. And, you know, I thought, you know, she's in shock, too. That's a odd thing to say, but it was just this dead look in her eyes. I, it was, I don't know how to explain it. You'd have to see it, but it was as if she wasn't in control, and she didn't find it odd or explain why she hit me and slammed on her gas for no reason after I was out of her way. Um, a couple of pedestrians came over and said, you know, I'll talk to your insurance. That was crazy. I don't know why she would have hit you. What an insane thing to happen. So my car is totaled, and I uh, went to clean it out. And as I'm cleaning it out, you know how underneath the trunk there's a spare tire. So I thought, you know, might as well take the spare tire. As I lift up the latch for it, I see a Ouija board above my tire. And I had forgotten that I had two. I couldn't find the second one when I was disposing of the first and I had taken it camping and left it there without realizing it. So for, you know, about four months after disposing of my first Ouija board, I had this one sitting in my car the entire time. And something about it, you know, it could have all been coincidence, sure, but I was so unnerved, I threw the board away, <laughs> didn't take anything out of my car and just left. Um, but anyways, that guy's story reminded me of it. Just the feeling of seeing someone in your rearview mirror and knowing it's probably just a shadow, but the what if, maybe what he saw, there was a spirit following that girl. I, I don't know, but as soon as I got rid of that car, I never had anything happen again, and I never bought another Ouija board, and I won't. Anyways, huge fan of your show. Um, hope you like my story. Thank you for calling in with your story. Perhaps it's all one big coincidence. Maybe the seal on your windshield cracked and allowed water to trickle in. Maybe the woman that hit you was 
overly sarcastic, and possibly the Ouija board simply fell between the seats and weaseled its way into the bottom of your spare tire space. I suppose all of those things are entirely possible, but then again, that's a lot of what-ifs and maybes. Despite how the coincidences happened, I'm glad to hear that you were not injured and that no one else was. And as far as the Ouija board is concerned, I'm not afraid to admit that I don't put a whole lot of stock into them. I can't help but see them as a simple toy. But that does not mean that being in proximity of one does not alter one's awareness. Perhaps simply thinking about the board opens one's perception, making them more susceptible to otherworldly activities that might already be going on around you. So thank you again for taking the time to call in. Our next caller also has a spooky encounter with a vehicle. Please welcome back Devin. Hi Derek, this is Devin again, calling back for my second story that I'd like to tell you. Um, and I don't like the word story, I'm going to say second event that happened to me that I'd like to tell you. A story implies that it's made up. This event occurred uh, while my mother, myself, my younger brother, and my best friend, that we were on vacation in a town called Helen, Georgia. And this is a town that my parents went to quite frequently. My dad had a uh, medical conference that he had to be to uh, be at so that he, he was not able to come with us. But my, my mom took my brother, my, my, my younger brother, um, he's three years younger than I am, so that would have made him around nine when this happened, um, myself and my best friend who's the same age as I am. And there's this house that my parents rented out um, in the wilderness. I remember this cabin had its own private road. It had a private driveway, and then it had a uh, private trail that ran across the property that it lay on. And this cabin was uh, three bedrooms, rather large, and situated directly across from a stream. Helen, anyone that's ever been to Helen, Georgia, knows that Helen, Georgia is rather well known for being one of the few places in Georgia that had its own gold rush. So there was just a rather good-sized stream across from this cabin that, my, that we were renting there at the time. We stayed there for about a week, and the event that happened occurred on the fourth day of our week stay there. Uh, we had all gotten up early that morning and donned our, our swimming clothes because we were going to take the trail that led through the property that this cabin was on to a... Uh, it, kind of an estuary off of the off of the, the, the stream that ran in front of the cabin where it opened up into a uh, into a river that went through Helen, Georgia. And we were going to follow the end of this hiking trail so that we could go swimming in this river. And so we got up right and early that morning and went outside. I'll go on the, what was probably about a mile and a half hike out to the end of this, this trail. And the trail um, was almost a continuation of the private driveway that this cabin was located off of. So we began hiking down this trail, with all four of us um, walking down this trail, having a good time. We, we were probably about 300 yards down the trail, and this black, non-descript, you know, at, at the time that I was 11 or 12, I can't um, really recall if I noticed, any of us noted the make and model of this car, um, but it appeared to be, uh, like, it was, it was very similar to the Audi that my father owned. Um, it was a black um, four-door uh, sedan-style Audi uh, with very, very dark windows. Um, 
anyone. Couldn't see who was driving. There were no lights on in the car, nothing like that. This was about 10 o'clock in the morning. Everything was very light. We we still couldn't see in the in the car at all. But this car had come down the private driveway, which was probably about 500 feet long, and then it continued on to the trail that we were in. The trail that we were walking on was just barely wide enough for this car to traverse. It was certainly not uh, not large enough for another car to, to have fit up next to it. Um, it barely us. In fact, as the car came up, I'd say probably going about 20 or 30 miles behind us, my mom um, kind of snapped at the, the three of us to get off the trail so that we didn't get hit by this car. And she did the same thing and may or may not have uh, uttered an uh, expletive at the car as it drove by. And I remember my mom saying how unusual this was, that, you know, all the years that we've been coming here, there's never been a car that's come down this driveway and, and there's ne- there were no cars didn't go on the trail that we were on. It was a, kind of a, a woody trail, and uh, there were no tire marks on the trail that indicated that there were never any cars that came up and down this trail, even during the rest of the year when we were gone, when we were back at home. And especially uh, what appeared to be a, a nice luxury car, it just seemed very, very unusual that it would be driving down this an off-road road. It, so this car ran past us, and and out of sight, and my mom just remarked how unusual this was, and that she'd love to give this guy a piece of her mind when, when he when he turns back around because the road doesn't lead anywhere. The road leads the the, the trail dead in at at the river, and there's there's nothing else. There's no trails that branch off of it. There's no roads that branch off of it. It's it's one way in, one way out. And so my mom, you know, getting her fire up, and she was gonna to give this person a piece of their mind, how dare they come on their private trail, or how they how dare they come up behind us while we're walking like that. So we keep walking, and uh, this car is long out of sight. Surely would have reached the end of the trail by this time. We uh, walk maybe another 100 yards, and we're talking about the day, and all of a sudden, I step, and uh, underneath my, uh, my foot, I, I'm wearing sandals. Underneath my foot, I feel something very squishy. It's a very sharp contrast from the the rocky, the hard, well, the hard red clay trail that we've been walking on. And I look down, and lo well, and behold, there's a uh, copperhead um, that uh, uh, I'm standing on top of a dead copperhead with a with a very distinct, defined tread mark uh, running across its belly. Um, you know, it trails and blood off to the side, but. Um, very fresh. You could tell that this this, uh, this copperhead had been copperhead had been killed by the vehicle that had just um, pushed us off, seemingly pushed us off the road. So I I yelped as I stepped on this dead snake, and my mom was down and was quite shocked. And I remember her saying something like, "If that car hadn't come by, that would have bitten you." You know, we were all kind of surprised and shocked and taken aback and. Uh, my mom had uh, was was probably reconsidering her stance on chewing this driver out if he came back, and was probably going to thank him when we. Uh, she said that she was going to thank the driver when we met him now instead of chewing him out um, because he had killed the snake that would have seemingly stepped on and and would have bitten and injected venom into me. And, you know, adrenaline pumping through our veins now, and uh, you know, a little more heightened and wary. And uh, excited to get in this trail so we could tell this person that they had uh, seemingly saved my foot or my leg. 
um, dramatically speaking. And, and we kept walking down, and, and I remember the point where we were probably about 500 feet away from the end of the trail, and the tree line opened up, and you could see the river and where the car should have been, but there was no car there. There were still tire marks on the trail, and we kept walking and walking. We got to the end where the river was, and where the, where the trail literally dead-ended into the river. It, it turned from red clay into, into drainage stone toward the river. There was nothing. There was no room, no, nowhere the car could have gone. And so I'll use the term ghost car is what we called it. This driver or this car came out of nowhere, ran over the snake, and the tire tracks ended right where the gravel began. Um, you know, we all would have noticed the car sitting, bobbing up and down in the in the river, and you know that was the only possibility that we could have thought of at the time was that this driver had done this odd thing by coming down this road and had driven into the river. It was a rather deep river. The other explanation. Aside from that was that it was uh, something of a supernatural origin, killed the snake for some reason that would have otherwise bit me. And uh, so those were the only two explanations that we could have had, something we can't explain either. Um, so that's my story. I appreciate it, Derek. And thank you for uh, doing this podcast. Uh, we'll continue to listen and, and tell my friends and family about it. Take care. Thanks, Devin. You all might remember Devin from episode 17 of the first season, where he told a story of his encounter with a spectral cat. His latest story is very interesting. Now let's, for a moment, assume the car was not a ghost car. Where could it have gone? Having never been to this particular part of Georgia, it's hard for me to suggest plausible explanations. So, to play devil's advocate, let's say this event was somehow paranormal. Why was the car there? Was there some sort of accident that connects it to that area? Perhaps there is evidence in the form of a news broadcast or newspaper article that would support this. And lastly, if it is a ghost car, how was it able to run over and kill a snake? Now, obviously, I do not have the answer to any of these, but as the audience, I feel it's important to raise these sorts of questions. Not to disprove a person's story, but to better understand what we've been told. Thank you again, Devin, for sharing your story. From the vehicle to the home, our next pair of calls deal with the nightmare of waking up to find someone or something in your room. The first of these calls comes from Alex, who calls from my neck of the woods. Hi, my name is Alex, and I'm calling from Redondo Beach, uh, California. Uh, love the show. I'm not the best uh, storyteller, but um, here I go. So um, I moved to uh, Chile, South America, at uh, age 14. About a year went by. Um, everything was fine until one night where I woke up, and it was in the middle of the night. I just woke up for no reason, no reason at all. So um, I woke up. Looked to looked up and there was this black shadow standing over my bed and I could see the figure of a man. So my room is like pitch dark and this is even like darker than my room. So I look at it and it, I just had this weird feeling like my soul 
something in my heart, I'm not sure what it was, but something was telling me that this thing was bad, like really evil. So I stared for, stared at it for I don't know how long. It felt like an eternity. And at one point I decided to cover my head. And I hid under the sheets and I prayed for for a while, for a long time. So once I had enough courage, once I was done praying for like 20 minutes and I had enough courage, courage to look, the shadow was gone. And I was able to sleep again, well, with the lights on, of course. So the next following, uh, next day, two days, my mom, for some reason, she decided to put my bed in the middle of the room. And I can't sleep like that. I, I'm, I'm super paranoid. I need my bed against the wall because I feel like I'll be attacked. It's just a weird thing that I have. So I was about to sleep, and I felt something shake my bed, but just a little shake. Nothing too too big, but a little shake. I woke up, and I saw this dark shadow just run out of my room, this little shadow run out of my room. Within the week, I would continue having these weird, this weird feeling in my house. I would come back from playing with my friends at nighttime, and I would feel like something was behind me in the hallway. I felt like something was watching me. So this continued to happen. Um, I just didn't feel safe in my own house. So the last thing that happened to me within that period of time was I was going to walk out of my house. It was the middle of the day, the afternoon, and I looked to my living room, to my left, and there's this couch. And I just looked for a second, and then I looked away. But within that second, I saw this girl sitting on my couch. She was pale white. She had a ponytail, and she had this old Spanish dress, and she was just sitting on my couch just looking at me, and that's the last thing I saw. After that, I told my mom everything. She, a uh, typical South American woman, brought the priest. They uh, did their whole thing, and that was the last thing that happened to me. I've had other things that happened after that. So telling my second story, well, I moved back to the States, and about five years ago, and I decided to go see my mom and dad for a couple of weeks, and they moved into this new house. About two days before I was going to come back, I was I was going through a bad time. I was kind of depressed and stuff. Well, that night, went to sleep, and I'm not sure what time it was, but I just woke up for no reason. And my vision or my eyes didn't go to the window or the computer or the wall. I woke up in my... I woke up and my vision went directly to the door. It uh, just waking up, look at the door, and I see this figure. And I'd say if you made an outline of a person and decided to give a kid a red crayon and tell him to fill it out, that's what it was. It was like this staticky red shadow. And I saw it standing at my door, and I immediately just me being a 27 year old man decided to just call for my mom's name and I just called her mom 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 just non-stop I was scared it just did something to me so one second before my mom woke up it's like the shadow knew that she was going to wake up so it just stepped away from my doorway and that's when my mom called my name like it knew that she was going to wake up so the next day um, I'm in the living room and I hear a knock on my stairs and I told her, Mom, what is that? And she's like, I don't know. So I go to the stairs where I was hearing that knock, and I knocked. 
and it knocked back, and my mom heard the whole thing, too. She was pretty spooked, and then I, we left the house. Well, um, keep up the good show. Uh, thanks again. Bye. Thank you for calling in. Now, Alex's experiences are very similar to experiences had by sufferers of sleep paralysis. I know I've spoken of sleep paralysis several times on past episodes, so I'll keep this brief. Basically, sleep paralysis is a feeling of being conscious but unable to move. It occurs when a person passes between stages of wakefulness and sleep. During these transitions, you may be unable to move or speak for a few seconds up to a few minutes. Some people may also feel pressure or a sense of choking. Sometimes a presence or even a full-on hallucination of figures can be seen by the victim. Of course, it's easy to write Alex's experience off as a simple night terror. After all, it does sound very similar to the before-mentioned description. But perhaps there's more to his experience than just that. I do find it a bit odd that the same event occurred on two separate continents. This makes me think that perhaps the event was something created in Alex's mind, but the fact that the figure had different appearances tends to make me think otherwise. I think it's obvious to anyone listening that I'm not a doctor, so for me it's impossible to diagnose this case. But I would suggest thinking back to the time of each encounter. Was there an unusual amount of stress beforehand? Were their sleeping arrangements weird or foreign? Was there anything that happened that would have had a drastic effect on your sleep cycle? Perhaps there's a simple, logical explanation for Alex's terrifying experiences. Then again, maybe there's something more sinister at hand. Either way, thank you for submitting your story, Alex, and uh, rest well, buddy. Our final call of the evening is a similar story, but with a different antagonist. Maybe I should tell the uh, tale of my uh, famous alien visitation. So when I was 14, uh, there was a lot of alien stuff going on. It was the early 90s. I was having some serious night terrors. I was having alien dreams like every night. I was having trouble falling asleep because I was pretty sure the aliens were going to come get me. I had just seen that movie Fire in the Sky, and I had talked to one of my mom's friends, who turned out was a Ramtha follower, which I will fill you in on later. But the interesting thing that happened was, um, so I'm having all these dreams and fears and whatever, and you know, one night I wake up, the classic night terror, I don't know what was happening, but I... I woke up, I look up, and there's a alien standing above my bed, just like a gray alien from X-Files or whatever. And I go to scream, and I can't scream. I go to move, I can't move. And I remember just kind of like flailing in my body, like, ah, ah, like trying to like do anything that I can to like move or scream or just do anything, and then sensation of waking up happens and I'm like oh thank god I have a moment of relief and I open my eyes and the same alien is there and I'm still paralyzed and I still can't move 
And I had the sensation of waking up about... I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was four or five times where I just kept waking up to the same alien above my bed and I couldn't move. And then finally when I woke up like the sixth time, I was back in my normal bedroom and the alien was gone and I could move again. And I absolutely lost my goddamn mind. I started crying and freaking out and I screamed for my mom and and, you know, she comforted me, and I can't really remember exactly how that night played out after that. Apparently I fell asleep, probably in Mom's bed, to be perfectly honest, even though I was a teenager. So to this day, I wonder, was that some sort of lucid dream? Or was that, uh, you know, me getting my mind erased by the, the men in black type of a memory wand gone wrong, like, I, I only remembered that one little glimpse of it, and I actually was abducted, I don't know, who knows, but that's my story, alright, take care. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story, Miles. I too had my own alien-fueled phobia around the same time period. Unsolved Mysteries did an alien abduction segment at least once a month, which only fanned the flames of paranoia. In addition, the movie Miles mentioned, Fire in the Sky, amplified those fears tenfold. For those that aren't familiar, Fire in the Sky was a film based on the real-life abduction of Travis Walton back in 1975. The following news broadcast from CBS5 in Phoenix summarizes Travis's experience. Arizona is known for its strange lights in the sky, and today marks 40 years since a man claimed to be abducted by aliens in northern Arizona. Travis Walton is probably the most well-known name in UFO circles. He wrote a book about his experience, experiences, which ended up becoming a Hollywood film. Yeah, Jeff Van Zandt follows Travis as he retraces his experience at the site where it all began, the town of Heber in the White Mountains. sort of a sound like metal sliding on metal. It was this real low throbbing sort of a sound that you could hear and feel in your body at the same time. It's not like anything I've ever heard. You Travis know, Walton is an unassuming sound. guy with a story that has captivated millions for decades, an abduction by an alien craft. It's November 5th, 1975. Travis, along with his brother-in-law and co-workers, are driving along and spot something in the woods. This glow that, you know, lit up the surrounding foliage, it just made everything look kind of weird. Travis and his buddies are heading down a remote road inside the forest when they see some kind of ominous light. A craft is hovering over the tree line, and that's when Travis's curiosity got the best of it. Closer I got, looking up at it, I was just walking slower because my eyes were just riveted on this thing and I'm just... He tried to run back to the truck. They're yelling at me, get out of there! And I stood up, bam! Threw me back through the air, 20 feet. And they took me for dead. It's been 40 years. Travis says the memories remain vivid. He shows us the site where it all happened. The craft would have been hovering just off to our right, just less than 100 feet away. 
Walton claims he woke up inside of an alien craft, lying on a table surrounded by three aliens and other human-looking figures. I was looking into the face of this creature. I just freaked out. That gave me a jolt of adrenaline that gave me the strength to get off the table. Walton says he tried escaping, blacks out, and wakes up on the side of the road in Heber and runs to the nearest phone. Once I made that call, I collapsed, and I don't know how long it was. It seemed like almost immediately my brother was lifting me up. Walton out of was that, missing uh, for five days, creating a media firestorm. Search parties combed the area. His buddies and brother-in-law tell the story of an alien abduction. Walton and the crews take lie detector tests and pass them. And ever since then, Walton has become one of the most well-known abductees in the U.S. He's faced years of praise and years of backlash by detractors. But he keeps telling his story, hoping people come to the conclusion to the age-old question, are we alone? The knowledge has reached the tipping point. It's the debunkers and the skeptics who are the kooks. Because of Boy, good to hear it in his own words there. If you're interested in hearing Walton's story for yourself... I encourage everyone listening to do a simple YouTube search for Travis Walton. The rabbit hole there is very deep, but extremely interesting. Before I close out for the night, I want to remind everyone that if you've had an encounter with something strange and would like to share your story, please give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. In addition, you can submit completely anonymously by clicking the Report Your Sightings tab on the show's webpage. And don't forget that every 13th caller gets a free Here There Be Monsters podcast t-shirt. Be sure to follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And while you're clicking away, be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. Lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature1986. Alright folks, that's it for this evening. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. <laughs> <laughs>